0: All right. <laughs> City land somewhere in the GTA becomes available, and it's you know big enough to build a hundred homes or something like that. A builder buys the land, sells the homes. Who pays for the infrastructure costs? Like if there's a, putting in a sewers, lights, roads, potentially a school. Like who has to pay for that?
1: well that's that's largely the uh, developer uh through through a system called development charges now different jurisdictions do it uh, differently so i'm taking an ontario uh centric uh, approach here but in ontario we we have this system of of development charges which are uh flat rates uh for um, single detached homes and apartments and things like that there are a lot of other charges as well i think uh, the average Ontario um, development has about nine to 10 different uh, charges assessed to it. But it basically works through this uh, system of development charges, which is relatively new that uh, we've only had it for about 30, 35 years or so.
0: How did things get built before that then?
1: Well, it was more of a kind of a, a, a negotiation where, you know, cities would sort of figure out what stuff would cost and, uh, you know, or the or the developers themselves would would, would do these things. But so you you had a system that, that had a whole lot of uh, whole lot of negotiation, and it got changed to this kind of flat rate approach where again, you have this kind of fee schedule and go okay if you're uh, uh, if you're building a single detached home in in Ottawa, the development charge is is roughly about forty thousand dollars.
0: I wanted to read a question directly from our producer because I think she put it in a put it beautifully, which is. Why is it important that anyone know anything about development charges at all? And so I will to throw
1: that to you. <laughs> well, I think it's out of sheer, sheer interest, uh, right? Because you know, to the end, home buyer or even resident, that these these are just buried into costs, right? They're kind of a a, a hidden uh, cost and, and hidden um, uh, part of, of the development system. But I think it's it's important to understand uh you know what it does to home prices, but also how it affects how infrastructure is, is paid for, uh both the, the the capital side of it. So, you know, how do you actually build the roads and the the sidewalks and the water treatment plants in the first place but then how do you actually pay for them over time because they need to be repaired there's upkeep costs and and so on so so I, i think it is important that we we do understand how our our cities work even though that this can get kind of wonky and trivial at times
0: yeah definitely i remember the first time hearing in a story development charges and i was like i know nothing about that and it just doesn't sound interesting but then i started hearing about it as like okay so if you are if a new home's being built to if, they, if there's an additional cost then the developer is going to pass that on to the buyer which means that effectively new homeowners or people buying new homes it seems like that they are subsidizing people who already own homes or at least people who are buying resale homes and and when i started thinking of it like that like oh is there are there is it the younger generation subsidizing the older generation? Is that what's happening here that made me kind of look more into it? And I wanted to know more about it, which is where it becomes interesting in some ways, because I see some people making the argument that it doesn't affect home prices at all. This is just we charge the developer. They're going to charge what they can charge anyways. They're not going to pass it along because like they're ready charging the maximum they possibly can. What do you think? Does it actually increase the price of homes? Is it is it is it taxing the the younger slash? new buyers but tend to be the younger generation for the older generation
1: yeah the, the, they are essentially passing this on and in some cases I, I think where this gets more pernicious is that sometimes it just doesn't make sense because uh to to build at that point because what can happen is even if you take that viewpoint that developers charge the maximum they can which i i, I think makes makes sense well sometimes the maximum they can charge doesn't cover the cost of construction and those development charges and things like that and that's where the challenge becomes that it this isn't just about making stuff more expensive it's also to the point where it just makes stuff unviable that that uh, the developers have this term that you know things need to pencil in the the sense that they need to that the numbers need to add up and that's that's one of the big challenges here that um, this, is, this, isn't, uh, this isn't just, you know, these costs being passed along, but it's actually stifling uh, home building and home construction.
0: Do we know if it actually is doing that?
1: Yeah, at, at a certain level it is, uh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things that it, that it causes is because development charges are different in, in different cities because they, they cover different costs and different things like that. It, it can also change where development happens. So, you know, if development charges are lower in rural communities near a London, let's say London, then that incentivizes that building to happen in, London, uh, in Lucan or one of these smaller communities instead of London, which ends up being bad overall uh, because you have people moving outside of the city who work and shop inside the city um so it basically it can lead to sprawl. it can lead to you know people having long commutes and things like that. so it's it it absolutely does change the amount of development that happens but also where development happens and when done poorly contributes to sprawl.
0: The best argument I've heard that's like in favor of development charges uh, being being there is that the people who are living there in the neighborhoods like They were, they didn't need the extra infrastructure. It's needed often, I guess there's repairs, but it's often needed just because there's a new people coming in there. And if new people are coming in there, they need more infrastructure. So then why should people who are, have been living with, without that extra infrastructure just fine, have to pay for it, they should have to pay for themselves. That's usually the most common argument. And in some ways, it's a good argument, because it, it seems like exactly exactly how it sounds, right? Like if it's new people causing it, why why should I have to pay more for someone else's? But at the same time, I think that there's probably an argument to say that new people coming to a neighborhood uh, does improve it. Do you, what do you think?
1: Well, well, absolutely. So I, I think, and, and that's the idea here. So the, the sort of um, phrasing uh, that urban planners and others use is that growth should pay for growth. So if you've got a bunch of new stuff, then... Uh, new, new housing and new uh, population growth and that kind of thing, then they should be the ones that, that pay for it. And there is a certain logic to it. I'm not going to suggest there isn't, but there's also some problems to it. So, so one is that it's hard to really divide out what is growth-based infrastructure and, and what is stuff that happens. So let's say you've got a town with a, a water treatment plant that's 80 years old. And then you you add a bunch of people to that and you go, OK, you know what? This, this old water treatment plant uh, isn't meeting the needs of the community anymore. We're going to have to build a new one. Well, is that because of growth or is that because the water treatment plant was 80 years old? Right. So it's not you know, it's not as neat and clean as, as people say.
0: Right but- now, is it clean in that like do, does growth actually pay for growth right now?
1: Well, it, it both does and doesn't. And that's one of the big challenges here, that the way we've set up development charges have, has tended to encourage sprawl, right? So a development charge, for instance, doesn't, generally speaking, distinguish between where where the new home is getting built. So I, I keep using this uh, idea of tearing down my house, which I'm really not planning on doing, but let's suppose I do. Um, um, if I tear down my house and build a uh, build a new one on the lot, I, I still have to pay a development charge, even though that the infrastructure is already there, right? Or if I build a home closer to a bunch of existing homes, the infrastructure lift is fairly low, but if I build one kind of out in the middle of nowhere, uh, I still pay the same infrastructure charge, but the cost, the actual cost to the city, uh, can be enormous. So there's this real sort of disconnect, and in, in how our development charge system works tends to charge uh, not nearly enough to kind of suburban development and then tends to overprice like urban infill. So it's not really the case that any one particular development is uh, paying for their additional costs. Some are paying more and, and some are paying less.
0: The Doug Ford government announced that they, uh, I guess it was about a year ago now, that they were going to cut development charges on certain kinds of builds that they were hoping to incentivize, ones that were below market, that they define, they have affordable, but also attainable, which is, I'm not 100% sure on the definition that's being used there, but they decided to cut it on the ones that they want to see built. And I wonder, do we know that if those charges are cut, that the savings will be passed on to the consumer or does it just mean that those are more likely to be built
1: I think it's, I think the the intent is 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 more the latter right that that it's not um, it, it's not about reducing uh, reducing prices it's about increasing supply like if, if what you were trying to do was put more money into first time home buyers pockets you could just give first time home buyers more money and and let them go, go that way that would be a cleaner neater approach it's, it's basically the idea of it is to increase supply, but it's, it's kind of a problem with what, what the province did, right? Because the development charges don't go to the province, they go to the municipalities. Um, so, you know, it, it would be like, you know, let's say, let's say I'm the premier and you're the mayor, is will be like saying, you know, me saying, oh, I'm gonna cut the price on this thing and, and Kara's gonna pay for it, right? And, you know, this, which is not a fantastic thing to do. The premier kept saying that he would make municipalities whole, like he would they would find some way to, to compensate cities for that. But it, they hadn't really done that. They haven't really explained how that that's going to happen. So it's, it's been a bit of a mess to be to be quite honest, along with the uh, defining exactly what it means for something to be affordable or not affordable in, in order to get the uh, development charge waiver.
0: Do we know what portion of the high prices right now of housing in Ontario is because of development charges?
1: Yeah, I I haven't seen any great uh, data on, on this that we know. Uh, for instance, that uh, you know the, the the sort of charges overall can be up to about thirty percent of home prices, but that's not just development charges. That's things like like land transfer and taxes and and, and so on and, and and like that. But again, I think this bigger issue is more that it, it's slowing development. It's causing development to be to be less than. Um, what it otherwise would be. Um, which again is problematic in our big cities with, with high development charges. Cause I'll ask you, like, is you know what happens to a city where, you know, all the sort of 30 somethings end up getting priced out, right? That's that's not a great thing for the sort of resiliency of um of a city. And I imagine uh you know you're someone who, who lives in in toronto I, I i think you're technically a millennial i mean i'm sure you've seen a lot of your friends basically get sort of priced out of the city and have to move somewhere else
0: yeah i was described as losing friends to the suburbs it's very yeah and, and
1: by the suburb, and, and we should be clear about it, when we talk about it, it used to be when you lost friends to the suburbs you know they moved to like etobicoke for, oh or no i suburb, have right?
0: like one of my friends moved to like angus and is commuting to downtown toronto like there's it's and there's probably, you know, I can think of another one that moved to St. Catharines, some people who moved to uh, anywhere really like very far from Toronto <laughs> and that would not work if they had to come in every day. It just wouldn't
1: work. Well, I was going to say, so the, so I would imagine that the St. Catharines folks are not either not working in Toronto or at least not they are
0: working house. in Toronto but not on a regular basis like they only have to come in every so often um you know in that case it's like i have a, it's a couple friend where one of them is working in st catharines the other one is commuting to toronto so every so often and so if they had to come in every day that would be a problem though and i think that that, that it would not be sustainable but i do know they like there are people I know who do commute on, on a regular basis, at least a couple of times a week um, from there. And it's, it's really, really far, as we've talked about before, like that idea of the drive to qualify. Well, if that's where they qualify, that's that's where they're going to go. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. So so I, I want to kind of dig into this a little bit. So, you know, so we've got kind of two folks that the, the first are kind of driving till they qualify and then driving back into the city. So let's go to the question, okay, well, why should existing homeowners care for that? You know, why, why did these development charges pricing people out? Like, why does it affect existing homeowners? Well, there's the first reason, right? That, that all those folks are driving back in, you know, clogging up the roads, and those folks living in Angus are not paying a dime of municipal property taxes to the city of Toronto, even though they're using Toronto's infrastructure. So that means higher taxes higher property taxes for those homeowners because you're pricing out those 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 middle class uh middle class folks
0: oh that's interesting so it's the people yeah. who you're saying that it's then people in Toronto if they cut development charges here well, I guess if they're cutting development mm-hmm. charges in another in another place it's not really helping, it's, it's still going to cost people here in the form of having to pay for the infrastructure for them to come yeah, in. I guess well, well, the whole toll road question of whether things whether the highway should be tolled in order to recoup some of that. I don't know if there's any other... Like, I guess the question is, is there, is there only a way, is it only property taxes or development charges? Are there other ways to recoup the cost? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, we could with with toll roads and and things like that. But it's, you know, I think the larger point is that these things aren't as zero sum as we kind of think like, oh, well, this is a development charge. And we could think of this being, you know, this being uh, a good or bad thing for developers or first time home buyers. But it doesn't really affect existing residents. Mm. And I'd argue it does. Right. Because if you're pricing people out of your city who are then driving back into the city, that's a whole lot of traffic and congestion, and all of those folks are using the local infrastructure and not paying for it. And I think that affects existing homeowners. Next question is, you know, like, what? Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to get too personal here, but I will. Like, you know, what your friend, like, what kind of what kind of jobs uh, the, do, do they have? Uh, particularly the ones, let's say, they're moving to St. Catharines and and working in St. Catharines. Well, like, there's like one.
0: One of them is someone who works at actually works at TVO, um, and they have to come in. He has to come in twice a week on on average. Like he, he, I keep wondering whether he'd still work there if they um, made him come in five days a week. I don't know. Like if if that would be too difficult because right now twice a week seems doable. It's you know it's two hours each way or something like that.
1: Right. So you've got, you know, you got the, the commuting folks and, but it, it, it sounded like, like at least, uh, you know, some, some of your friends just decided, you know, moved out of Toronto and now no longer work in Toronto. Yeah. And that's the other reason I think existing homeowners should care about this. Cause you know, you could think it like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm an existing homeowner. I've lived in Toronto 45 years. Why do I care about development charges? And I'm like, do you like having a doctor or nurse? If you do, you probably should care what's happening to development charges. And you should probably care that you are pricing the middle class out of your city uh, because if no nurses or personal support workers or therapists can afford to live anywhere near the city of Toronto, you're gonna have a big healthcare shortage. Uh, You know, and you're seeing that, that the folks working out, you know, moving, you know, some are going to work at colleges, some are, Somewhat ironically, the very tradespeople that we need to build the homes in Toronto are leaving Toronto because there's no homes for them in Toronto, right? So there was this-
0: a vet in my old neighborhood in Midtown Toronto that they had ended up moving out and closing it down because they said that they could not afford to live in Toronto anywhere near it. And I thought if a vet is having a hard time, like a vet's not a, a low-paying job, it's not a super high-paying job. I don't, I don't think, but it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not a low income job like that should be that they should be able to afford something that's really bad
1: well well that's just it and right now to qualify for a, for a mortgage for any type of property in toronto you basically have to be in the sort of top 10 to 15 of, of of income so you've got a lot of people with you know six figure white collar incomes that are like i still can't I, I still can't afford to live here and it's not uh and a lot of it is like not so much like oh you know this my budget is going to be tight it's like no 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 bank will give me a mortgage uh because they don't meet the qualification rules so i think that's why we should care about you know development charges and things like that uh because if they are preventing housing from being built in your city Uh, it's meaning that you're losing the very people that your your city needs to to function and we see that in you know not not just the city of Toronto but you know you're starting to see it in the 905 as well Uh, we had a report at the institute called who will swing the hammer looking at this in the in the city of Hamilton where we're seeing this exodus of yeah it was a great pun it's Uh, a great title it was my it was my it was my co-authors I can't uh, take credit for it but uh, but looking at that issue, and they're, they're seeing that in Hamilton as well, that um, you know, folks are moving to Hamilton like 23, 24 years old, getting their first job, then a few years later having kids and going, you know what, I'm moving, I'm moving to Thorold or I'm moving to Brantford or places like that just because I can't, I can't afford to live here anymore. And that's, that's a problem right now for Hamilton. And it's only going to get worse unless you know, we, we start addressing the housing crisis.
0: Is the solution then to be cutting development charges or is it to be uh, just changing the structure of the way they're doing it? Like, how how do you solve it?
1: Yeah, I I think there are there's a few things, um, a few things that that you can do. And, And I think the important point on this is that we're not suggesting that we slash infrastructure spending. This is not like a government is the problem argument and we're trying to starve the beast. It's more about how do we get municipalities the money that they need to to build all of this uh all of this infrastructure so there's a few different plans uh out there um one of the um liberal uh, one of the candidates for ontario liberal leader has uh suggested a way to just have the province uh pay for it out of out of g s t and, and other money Who's pay that? for infrastructure. Uh, that's uh, Yasser Nakvi uh, suggesting it that way. So that's that's one way we can do it. You know, the other way is is, is finding ways to um, instead of trying to pay for the infrastructure up front, you know, debt finance it and then collect it back through you know, the higher water prices or, or sewer rates, you know, put it more, move it more into the property tax base. So there are novel ways of, of doing this. And, you know, we can look to other provinces like, like Quebec, for instance, that don't have all of these fees and charges, but still find a way to uh, make their cities work.
0: I see there's, a, having watched a lot of, um, what's going on in toronto city council i see a lot of time counselors saying things that that seem to be just keep making developers pay for it that's all you have to do they have the money they make a lot of money and a lot of them are quite wealthy um <laughs> and so why not just make them pay for it so i guess i just wanted to kind of think about like what the consequences are of doing that that it's not it doesn't seem that simple that you can just say just get them to pay for it because like they're still going to want to make same amount
1: of money you know and these projects are either going to make economic sense or or they won't and those developers won't develop if they they don't make economic sense and i think it's naive to kind of assume that that developers are are paying these these fees and have no power you know it's this weird kind of economy where we always think about well they're greedy developers but they're also acting as santa claus that 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 that, that, every time uh, development charges go out they're like "No, no no we got this we won't we won't pass this this along so it's just It seems unreasonable, but yeah, I mean, the the development charges do they eat some of it yeah probably a little but but a lot of it just gets passed on to consumers or causes uh things not to get built in the first place
0: and i know that the, the this kind of idea is not something that so many people talk about these days and i'd love to hear like if, if you're listening to this and you're someone who works in in development or you're someone who studies this through an, in academia or watches it from any other vantage point and you want to make the case for why it doesn't affect home prices like I would love to hear it please get in touch and we'd love to have you on to talk about it thanks so much for listening and watching this episode was produced by Meredith Martin
1: and please like subscribe or leave a comment it would help us out a lot
0: see you next time